Peter was given the instruction by Jesus to feed the sheep, take care of the flock of God. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. <clears throat> Three times Jesus told them, take care of God's people, is what he meant to say by that. And Peter took that really seriously. He really did a good job. And here in this book of Second Peter, he is laying out for us, and last week a very important lesson. You remember there were seven things that you were never going to forget, right? <laughs> that was last week. Seven things that you weren't going to forget because he said these are things that's important for you to do, and it's your responsibility to do these things. And you got to, says, be uh, diligent, is the word he kept using, be diligent at getting these things together. And, and those are the kind of things that Jesus said, feed the sheep, right? Here, here, I'll break it down for you. Here's seven things. You remember what they were? Started with faith. Everybody has faith in the Lord, believe in Jesus. Let's start there. You're going to add to it virtue. He said, clean up your life. Make sure you can get rid of those bad habits and the things that you shouldn't be doing. Virtue or clean up your life. Third one, he said, is add to it knowledge. You need to learn and be constantly learning. And so if you're a Christian, serious Christian, learning is a regular thing. Bible studies, why we do it why we do it. So we can continually learn. We never say, I got it all figured out. I had had people tell me, I come to church, but I already know what you say before you say it. Well, they're smarter than me must be. Maybe they should be preaching. <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's a constant learning process. So he says, always adding knowledge. You're learning all the time if you're a Christian. And he said, bring patience. That's a, that's a challenge, right? Be patient. Learn to be patient and have self-control with the reins of your life and having a have hold of those. Well, there are five of them. And then brotherly kindness. We are very kind to each other in the Christian church. And then uh, love to everybody. He says love to everybody all over. Those are the kind of things he says I expect you to do. It's not that hard. It's the seven things on the list. That's what he told us to do last week. All right. And we just finished that last week. We're going to take it up right where we left off in verse number 12. Now, 2 Peter <coughs> chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Now, you're doing all right, he says. You're doing good on those things, but I'm going to keep reminding you. I'm going to keep bringing it to your attention. What are they? Faith, virtue, knowledge, patience, self-control, brotherly kindness, and love. Those are the things that I want you to remember, he said. And I'm going to keep reminding you, verse 13, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He's talked about his tabernacle. That's where his body, his spirit dwells. 
we say God dwells in the body uh, of the church, all right? And he's saying he has a tabernacle. All he means is uh, as long as I'm living and breathing, walking around in this body, I'm going to keep reminding you of those things you need to remember. Knowing shortly that I must put off the tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Now, that changes the whole book. He said, I'm shortly going to die. Wow. He said, God told me my time is short left on this earth, and I'm going to die. And so uh, it's very much the reason that I want to tell you these things and keep reminding you, because when I leave, what's going to happen? Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. So he says, when I'm dead, I still want you to remember. <laughs> and it's easy when he keeps reminding you over and over. You keep, there he goes. He's reminding me again. And what happens when I'm dead? He says, I'm going to try to make it so that you can never forget, even when I'm dead. He's quite successful, wasn't he? We're talking about it in East Shelby 2,000 years later. So he did well when he put it down here. He said, I want you to remember these things. And <clears throat> we're talking about it now. And so, yeah, he's died, and we're still going over what he does, which is essential in, in what he's about to say. He's about to go in <clears throat> to that part that he mentioned, knowledge, because it's a very important part of the Christian experience. And so he's going to explain for us what he thinks about the Bible and how important it is. And the thing of it is, think about it now, he's only got half a Bible all he's got. There's no New Testament when Peter's writing. It hasn't been gathered together yet. It'll take them 300 years to sort out books and get them all together in one place before they have what we call now the New Testament. You wouldn't think of a Bible without an old and New Testament. Peter's writing this. There is no New Testament. They're in the process of writing it. John hasn't written his gospel yet before Peter is, is writing this. Um, uh, Mark probably has written his, but Mark, we believe, was Peter's grandson. And when Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when Mark wrote his gospel, uh, we think that a lot of the information came from Peter, his grandfather. This is kind of logical. And the reason the Gospel of Mark is such a breakneck speed, when you read it, it's go, 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 from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. There's very seldom much more than four or five verses on any topic. And you go to the next one, you go to the next one, because it's Peter. Peter. 
Peter's intensity is pushing his grandson to write, I'm sure. But these books aren't collected yet. So, as he's writing this letter, I want you to learn things and keep them in your mind. Uh, he's going to now go into an explanation, really, of the Bible when it's not a Bible yet. Not like we have. He would have the Old Testament. They would have that. The Jews had studiously collected that. And they had the, what was the, 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 the books of the law, Moses' first books, and then the prophets, and then the Psalms. And they would have had those collected. So those were available to him. Uh, but he and others are writing the Bible as he's speaking. Paul and so forth. So here we go, verse 17. Or I'm sorry, 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, we were there. Our account is eyewitness. And we didn't make up stories. We didn't make up stories. And there's a whole lot of people today who think that the Bible is just a bunch of made up stories. A lot of people today will tell you, ah, it's just some stories that somebody put together. He's telling us, no, no, no. He said, we did not make up stories. What we did was told you what we saw as eyewitnesses. Now, when they did that, what came out of that is the New Testament. That's where the New Testament comes from. It's people who were eyewitnesses, who saw what happened, and told about what happened. That's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and some of the other books mention things that are but mainly the stories of Jesus is what we focus on. Now he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what he mentions in particular. Now let's go on, verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount now if you turn back to Matthew chapter 16 let's find out what he's talking about here and go back to an eyewitness account uh, as it's told here Matthew 16 <coughs> Although Matthew's the author. He would have heard this directly from Peter or James or John. This particular account. We, we go to 16 verse 28. Because Jesus says here, Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now they always scratched their head. They all thought Jesus was going to take over the Roman Empire. Even right to the last minute. 
That's what they thought. And Jesus says, some of you aren't going to die and you're going to see majesty. You're going to see it. And now, here it comes. 17. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. So he only takes three up there. These three were the privileged three. Uh, I can't explain why. Peter is obvious. He's the shining star of the group. John is the one that loves Jesus so much. James, know almost nothing about him except for he was the one that died first. He's the one that died first. And so it had to be pretty, a lot of strength in him be the first one to be uh, killed of the disciples. It was tr- and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was l- white as the light. And so they go up the mountain. Jesus is standing there. All of a sudden, Jesus transfigure is the word. Trans means to change. Uh, uh, figure or he changed his being. He started to shine. This don't shine, all right? Neither does yours. Yours don't shine either. We don't shine. Jesus up there and his face is shining like the sun. He can't look at it. And his raiment it's apparent that he's shining all over. Uh, and his, his clothes even are white as the light. And he's shining. Whoa. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And we know what they said. They talked about his death, which was going to come in a little while. Then answered Peter, here's our Peter, said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <laughs> you don't know what to say. You're looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's a different being. He's a whole different being. And he doesn't know what to say, so he said, Hey, this is great. Let's just stay here. <laughs> That's not, of course, what happened. But he's got to say something because he's Peter. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. So now there's a cloud comes down, a shining cloud comes down over around them and surrounds them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Then Jesus came, touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And so, now Peter's saying to us something He's saying, I will tell you, I saw Jesus. And it was shocking because all the rest of the time, he could just walk and eat and talk and look just like you and I, sleep and everything else, just like a normal person. And we didn't realize that underneath 
or inside was this divine being. And we suddenly saw it shining through on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then we heard God speak, God the Father. And a cloud came down, says they went into the cloud and uh, they heard God saying, this is my son. So it's set forever, he said, as an eyewitness. I know that that's not just anybody. That's the son of God. And no matter what anybody says, that's who he is. And I'm an eyewitness of that. I saw that happen. And we heard the voice. And so he says, what I'm telling you, I was an eyewitness to the things that I'm telling you. Uh, Jesus came down to this world and he lived among men and walked and talked and lived among men. But he did what nobody else could do day after day after day. He's healing the blind man. He's raising the dead. I mean, he's walking on the water. He's making water, uh, wine out of water. He's doing, day after day, doing what nobody else could do. And that should be proof enough that he was somebody special. But here, Peter said, no, 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 he was more than just that. He was shining. He was God. He was God himself down here with us. And then I heard God the Father and say, yeah, that's my son. That's me extended into the world. All right? And so when Jesus comes into the world, we get it, get it out of your mind that he was just a human or whatever. He was God. He was God. He took a human form, but he was God. And he did what nobody else can do. So there's the eyewitness reports are all put up. Jesus is God. We watched him. We saw what he did. And those eyewitness reports will become the New Testament. All right? That's what the New Testament is, basically, a series of eyewitness reports. Here's what Jesus did. And so he's explaining to us where the New Testament came from. It didn't come from stories that somebody made up. Now, this passage actually, the commentators argue and fight over it like they always do. Always arguing about something. And uh, it is confusing. It is, has a confusing side to it. And part of that confusion, uh, usually I look to several things. Is it because it's in the King's English? In the King James Version. Some of the things we read that are hard to grasp are because it's in the King's English and we're not used to it. All right? so, so you find a Bible that's not. Modern English, it helps you some. Uh, sometimes there were errors in translation in the Bible. Here and there they... they Twisted things or just changed things a little bit. 
and they turned out a little bit different maybe than they were intended. And uh, uh, because of that, if there are certain versions that were very particular, and you can go to them and kind of get it straightened out if it's an error in translation. Uh, I do not believe that this is an error in, by the King James. I don't think there's anything wrong with the King's English here. I don't believe it's a translation error because all the new ones that I read are all say the same thing. So what is it? Well, I think it's Peter. <laughs> I think it's what Peter said, and this is what confuses people. Now, what did he just say? We were eyewitnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. We saw what happened. And then he says, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. So he's just said, we're eyewitnesses. Now we have a more sure word of prophecy. Why did he say more sure? See, some people think that Peter's saying, uh, well, I was an eyewitness, but here's something better. Here's something more sure, and it has to do with uh, the Old Testament prophecy. And so uh, when it comes to... Uh, do I trust my eyes or do I trust the Old Testament? I trust the Old Testament more than I trust my eyes. That's what some people think he said there. And it's kind of a, he did say it was a more sure voice than his eyewitness report. But I think it's just the way he was talking. I don't believe that he thinks that the Old Testament is more important than his eyewitness reports because the Old Testament, the eyewitness reports are the New Testament. All right? So I think what he's saying is this. <clears throat> we saw Jesus. We saw what happened to him. And then... After we were eyewitnesses and we saw what he did and how he lived, and then we saw how he died. We saw how he died. And then we went back to the Old Testament, and there it was right there, the same thing we saw. There it was. Uh, we were eyewitnesses. We saw it happen, and now we go back in the Old Testament and... 400 years, even a thousand years before Jesus is alive, they were saying, here's what he's going to do. So he said, what did that do? It made the Old Testament more sure. All right, and I think that that's Peter's meaning here, and that the arguing people love, commentators love to argue. <laughs> They're always fighting. You should see I have books where they argue for 15 pages whether Peter's the author of this book. What a waste of ink and brain power and all of it. They just waste and waste as they love to argue. And they come to this point and they say, well, this doesn't make sense. 
Why would they be more sure of the Old Testament than his eyewitness reports? Well, what he's saying is that I saw things happen to Jesus, and then we went back and we looked into the Bible and saw it. And now we're so sure that that's right. We're so sure that that's right because we saw it. And then amazingly we looked back. And do you know, you realize that's what Jesus did when he came, when he rose from the dead. He went to his disciples and uh, in the upper room on the first day. When he rose from the dead, the last stop he made was the upper room with the uh, 11, well, there's 10 disciples there. Judas is dead, and uh, Thomas isn't there. And the other 10 are there. And he talks to them, and what does it say he talks about? He talks about how his death and resurrection was explained in the Old Testament. What does he do on the road to Emmaus? Same thing, right? He's walking with these two men who don't even know who he is yet, and he's talking about how these things should be because it says in the Old Testament, here's what was going to happen, and now you've seen it happen. And so Jesus did a lot to do that. Why do you think Jesus is telling these guys about all these prophecies? Because he's putting together a book. This Bible. He's putting it all together. He's setting these guys up so that they'll finish the book. They've already had the beginning of the book. And now they're going to write the New Testament. It's not a second half or anything. It's just an extension of the Bible. And he, Jesus, is telling them, look, you know, it's very coherent. Here's what happened to me. Look back there, and you can see what happened to me. So we have, verse 19, this more sure word of prophecy. Rend you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. And that day star drives them all crazy. They don't know what the day star is. So they say, well, the day star comes up in the late or really early morning just before dawn. So it's got something to do with uh, the rapture. Ah, it's as plain as a nose on your face. Jesus says, you're going to take the Bible. Peter's saying here, you're going to take the Bible. And you're going to find out who Jesus is from eyewitness accounts. And then if you need more help, you can go back into the Old Testament and you'll find it there prophesied ahead of time coming to pass here. So it's a very coherent thing, he says. And so as you begin to understand, number one, what you got to understand, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? Do you know who he is? He's God in human form, come down, taking a human form so that he can die for our sins. And so he says, as you understand, as it comes into your mind and you grasp who Jesus is, 
you understand what he's all about, who he is, then he says, uh, take heed. That light is going to come and that, that star is going to shine in your heart or your life and your mind both are going to be illuminated when you know who Jesus is. And once you know things about him, once you understand what happened to him and who he was and what he did, then you come to cross over a line and personally get to know him. And personally have a lifetime conversation and friendship with him. That's where we're heading. So he says, uh, we told you eyewitness reports. Now, Let's go back here, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Um, is another one of these verses that kind of goofs people up. And here's why. Because um, a major group called the Roman Catholics said that if you're a regular old person, you don't be reading that Bible. Because the chances of you getting it wrong are just too great. And so it's not your own private idea of what the scripture is. And so they shut down generations from reading the Bible as Roman Catholics. But because they told them, you might get it wrong, so don't read it. Well, for heaven's sakes, this is the opposite of what Peter's telling us, right? And Peter's the Pope. <laughs> Peter's saying, hey, look, we got these eyewitness reports, and we also have Old Testament prophecy, and we're bringing the two together until the light shines, until in your mind the bulb clicks on and you know what's going on. All right, so certainly he wants us to read it. That's not what he means here, verse 20. Knowing this first, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. There wasn't somebody said, I think I'll write the book of uh, Isaiah today. So uh, I think it ought to say this. So he writes it down. It wasn't that. And it wasn't that. He says... Here's how it went. Here's how the Old Testament was written. New Testament by eyewitness, Old Testament, verse 21. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, came on these men and said, I'm going to urge you, I'm going to get inside of you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to tell you what to write. And sometimes they had no idea what it meant. And that's how you can tell the Spirit was doing it. Because they never would have thought of it on their own, not in a million years. They never would have thought of it on their own. Well, we're going to show you an example of that uh, back in uh, Psalms. Book of Psalms. 
We're going to look at chapter 22, book of Psalms, chapter 22. Here's an example of these prophets who wrote the Bible are going to have God speak into their minds. And they're going to write things that God says to write. And like I said, a lot of times they scratched their head and they thought, what does that mean? What is that all about? I don't know. I can't say it. And certainly here is a classic example. Psalm 22, if you look at verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know where that comes from, right? Jesus, hanging on the cross, says those very words. As he's dying, and as the sun goes away, and the whole place turns dark, you hear Jesus crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David wrote it a thousand years before what Jesus was going to say on the cross. Well, some people say, well, Jesus was just copying. <laughs> oh, and sometimes it's not even worth commenting on. Um, Jesus doesn't have to copy anybody, okay? He is the ultimate communicator that ever lived. He didn't copy anybody. All right. And so as he is hanging on a cross, that's what he says as he's hanging there. Now, let's go down a little to, uh, we can pick it up like at verse 12. Now think of him on the cross. <clears throat> they whipped him with a, Vicious whip. Uh, they have placed a crown of thorns on his head. They bruised his face and pulled the hair out of his beard. And then put a cross on his back and made him carry it till he fell. And then they got somebody else to carry. He goes out there. And he they are laughing and making fun of him and they're and they're shouting insults at him as he's on a cross. Dying. So listen to this, verse 12. Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls compass me around. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. He's like I'm being rushed by bulls. They gaped on me with their mouths and as a ravening and roaring lion. So they are attacking him, and they did viciously. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. And one of the things about hanging on a cross for any length of time, that your joints pull apart. You're hanging by your arms and your joints pull apart. Right? Not your leg joints, but your arm joints. You'd, pull, you'd be pulled apart. And of course, uh, because of the hanging on the, on the cross uh, they couldn't breathe they couldn't exhale uh, they could inhale but they couldn't exhale so the only way they could exhale is push you up on the nail and through to your foot and exhale and then drop down inhale 
push-up exhale. Horrible time. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. What did he ask for there? What did he, on the cross, he says, I thirst. I thirst. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For the dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And there it is. That's what tells you that David had no idea what was happening. God was whispering in his ear, I want you to write next. They pierced my hands and my feet. You know, see, we look back and say, well, that's crucifixion. Nobody was ever crucified when David was alive. They didn't start that for a few hundred years afterwards. It wasn't until uh, Greeks started crucifying people and then the Romans carried it on a little farther. Uh, when David was writing this, he never heard of anybody being pierced in the hands and feet. But he wrote it right there. They pierced my hands and my feet. So what does it tell you? It tells you that the Spirit was telling him, okay, you're, you're doing good. You're explaining Christ's death on the cross. I want you to write this. They pierced my hands and my feet. And I'm sure David scratched his head and he goes, I wonder what that was all about. <laughs> now, we have an eyewitness. Right, who said, yeah, they nailed him to a cross. That sure made this a more sure word of prophecy, didn't it? It changed the prophecy back here in Psalm 22. And it made it a whole lot, now we could see it. Uh, uh, verse 17, I, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And you know that they took Christ's coat and uh, uh, gambled for it under the cross because the eyewitnesses told us. The prophets told us a thousand years before. But now with it, both of them, right? Now you know that God knew all along what was going to happen and now these eyewitnesses in the New Testament have confirmed it. And so that Psalm 22 becomes a very powerful psalm. If you look at Isaiah 53, just a short, quick look at that. Isaiah 53. Here's a famous passage. about Jesus. Verse 3, Psalm 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And they certainly didn't esteem Jesus, did they? They despised him, yeah. Surely he had borne our griefs, Carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought when he was on the cross, he was getting what he deserved. As so we thought, looking up at him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That passage right there and the next one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That passage baffled Jewish scholars. They couldn't figure out who that was. For centuries, they couldn't figure out who that was. They said, it can't be the Messiah. Messiah is going to come and be king. Can't. That, that's not talking about Messiah. Well, it was talking about Messiah. And that's why when Jesus came, they said, he's not the Messiah. We couldn't crucify him if he was the Messiah. Come to find out, this passage is explaining why he's being crucified. All right, so Peter is telling us what? So you got this Bible, and it's very coherent. You got eyewitness accounts, and you got prophecies that are exactly blending together. And there's something like 35 or 40 prophecies of just about Jesus, telling exactly where he's going to be born, what happens when he's born, where he's going to grow up. Uh, and it goes on and on and on and on <clears throat> until, of course, it comes to his crucifixion and death, all prophesied. So he says, uh, you, in your search for knowledge, have a lot to go through. You can learn by getting the coherence of this book. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. He's, he just told us how the Bible came to be. Now the Old Testament is inspired, New Testament by eyewitnesses. They both came together to form one wonderful book. Verse chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Hold it. Wait a minute. He said... I'm warning you, you take this Bible and you get it and you take it in until that light comes into your soul until you comprehend and understand who God is and what God did. I want you to get that. Make sure you have that light shining from inside of your heart because there's false teachers coming. And he says here, false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He says, I'm trying to warn you. He says, I'm trying to tell you. You get this Bible into your heart and get it in there good because there's people right near you, right close to you, who are going to tell you something that's not true, and you got to be on top of it. Don't let them get away with it. You say, well, who's doing that? Well, Sunday morning, it happened right here. It happened right here. I was preaching on the resurrection of Lazarus. And on our, whatever it is, website or whatever it is, there's a guy punching in. 
What he's saying isn't true. What he's saying is false. That's not the right thing. That's not really what happened. As I'm preaching, he's putting this on our site. And John, who was on his toes, was taking it off as quickly as he put it on. But he said he was at a vicious pace putting it on. And he says, we know that Lazarus was in a coma and that he was buried while he was in a coma and he's going on and on and on. That's well I'm preaching. This guy's doing this. All right, there's false teachers. Yeah, you know, you, obviously, why does he do it? He says, they shall bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord. I'm preaching that Jesus, after four days dead, raised Lazarus from the dead. He's going, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was in a coma the whole time. All right? Well, you say, well, why is he doing that? Because, verse 2, many shall follow after their per pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. He's looking for a following. Alright? And he's going to find it anywhere he can. And if you are an interested person and you like to learn and you haven't learned yet about who Jesus really is, you might believe that nut. You might believe that guy. No. All you got to do is look at the passage, right? What does the passage say? Jesus said to the disciples, Lazarus is dead. Right? That's it. If Jesus said Lazarus is dead, either he's dead or he's a liar if he's in a coma. My Jesus don't lie. He said Lazarus is dead. He's dead. He's dead as a doornail. And everybody there knew he was dead too. Except for this fella who comes along and he's going to teach something different. Now this is not unusual. I have heard that particular little uh, crazy idea before. There are hundreds of those ideas out there. You can find them anywhere. Just turn on that stupid computer. You'll find hundreds of them if you want to look. <clears throat> I mean, I'll give you an example. And it's always, always remember, false teaching is an attack against Jesus' lordship. They don't want Jesus to be in charge. They don't want Jesus to be the king. They don't want Jesus to be that shining being that Peter's talking about where the light's coming right out of his body. They don't want him to be that. They don't want him to be that, so they're always trying to tear him down. Uh, another classic one is the woman at the well. You recall Jesus in Samaria. Sits by a well, a lady comes and he asked for a drink. <clears throat> and she said, well, you're Jewish. You shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. And he says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask for living water. And I'd give you water so you never thirst again. And they get talking back and forth. And uh, finally, Jesus says, you remember? Uh, 
go get your husband. She goes, well, uh, I don't have one. He said, no, you had five. You've had five. And she ran back to town and she said, you got to come and see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. Now, how did Jesus know that? Because he's God. And God knows. See? And so, as he's talking to this woman, perfect stranger, met her for the first time. He knows because he wants to open her heart up. That's what he wants. And so he says to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. She said, I know the one you're living with now is not your husband. In the last five you know, and she runs back and says, he told me everything I ever did. Here's how they fixed that one. <laughs> this one always kind of got me laughing. <clears throat> he said, if you have a water bottle and you're going to town to get water, uh, you have to write on your name on there. And you have to write things about yourself on there. And uh, this lady had five names on there. Wow. And so she went to get water and Jesus just looked at the water pot and said, you've had five husbands. Well, any half-wit, any half-wit would know that you're not going to write all your sins on a jar and carry it around town. <laughs> right? Are you? Of course you're not. Oh, whoever came up with that. But that's classic Jehovah Witness uh, doctrine. I remember the first time I taught that to a Jehovah Witness. He goes, where does this say about the pots? I said, what are you talking about? Well, the pots had all their names on it. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. What's the matter with you? Why would they want to say that? Because then it wasn't God who just knows because he is omniscient and all-knowing. He's reading it off the pot now. Come on. All right? It's the same thing as, as Lazarus is in a coma. Come on, people. I mean, uh, this stuff is not true, and you've got to be warned and beware because this stuff is everywhere. And it's always, if you can get to the bottom of it, it's an attack on Jesus. They're attacking Jesus and trying to get you to doubt him. That's why he said, take that eyewitness report and get that Old Testament prophecy and put them together and pretty soon you'll know who God is. And you'll understand that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and give his life for us and pour out his heart for ours. And that's what you'll understand. And then when somebody comes along and say, oh, Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead, just go, who do you think you are? says right there by eyewitness accounts that he did. And Jesus himself said he was dead. So if you're going to take that, you're going to call Jesus a liar. Not when I'm listening, not in my hearing. Thank God John was quick enough to take that stuff off as it came on. All right. So this is very up to date, isn't it? All of a sudden, this is what we're all about. 
All right, we're going to learn the right thing. Peter says, get your head in that book. You have knowledge, add knowledge to yourself every day until that, that light shines. Until it comes out of you. You know who God is and nobody can ever convince you otherwise. Here's these people, these false teachers, and they're desperately trying to convince you. Verse 3 of chapter 2. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. All right, so they are covetous, or that is this guy who's talking about Lazarus being in a coma, he's not standing behind a pulpit somewhere. That ain't what he's doing. He'd like to be, but he's too kooky. And he won't do the work that goes along with doing uh, God's will. You got to work if you're going to do God's will. He's not going to do that. He's going to stand back and punch things into his little whatever it is and put it on our whatever it is. And uh, because what's he doing? Covetousness. He'd like to be in a position where people would listen to him. All right. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words or they make up things, false words. That's what he's saying. Make merchandise of you. Ooh, you want to be merchandise? What's he saying? He's saying, when we deal in truth, we're not making merchandise of you. We're making you uh, grow and develop, and we're making you love and patient, self-control. We're making all those good things happen in your life and we're growing together along that way. And this guy, he doesn't look at you like somebody he wants to help. He looks at you like a piece of merchandise. If I can get you to believe my crazy stuff, I own you. I own you. All right? That's what he's saying about these people. So it was a very serious warning. And it would come up over and over and over again. It is, it's here today. Uh, it's been around since Peter's time. Doing the same thing. You're going to make merchandise of you. All he wants to do is own you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. And their damnation slumbereth not. He said, God will put an end to these people. He is not going to allow liars to continue. He's going to nail them. They are going to pay a price. They're going to get nailed for what they do. Now he's about to go into how serious God is about that destruction. He's going to call down on the head of false teachers. All right? So it's a pretty intense passage here. He said, I'm going to die, and I'm trying to remind you of seven things I want you to work on. And one of those things is knowledge. And you need this book. You need to understand the Bible. Eyewitnesses of the New Testament, prophets of the Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and they bring the two together, and it makes the Old Testament more sure for you and I, so sure that we finally can look and say, yeah, sure enough, that was God. That's who that was. We know that was God and nobody can convince us otherwise. 
And we know that was God. And you better know it, he said, because somebody out there is going to pick at you and try to get you confused and try to give you some false stuff so they can own you. He said, God will fix it. And next week we'll go on how God fixed it in the past and what's going to happen in the future for those people. But Peter's given us a good lesson tonight about the Bible. How do we view it? How do we look at it? That knowledge that he said you must be continually getting to, make sure you do because somebody is going to try to feed you a line and you make sure you know enough so you don't swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Okay? Next week we'll go on. Thank you.